The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, live at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber has the morning off. Final week of Q2. More chatter about whether this rebalancing can keep the rally going. Futures have lost some gains as durables beat. Watch for G7 headlines, NATO and OPEC later this week. Our roadmap begins with stocks trying to build on the first winning week of June, still on pace for the worst first half in decades. At G7 summit underway, the world leaders pursuing multiple new sanctions against Russia. And this hour, don't miss our interview with SEC Chair Gary Gensler talking everything from the crypto markets to ESG. We'll start with markets, though, heading into our last week of trading for the first half of the year. So much calendar work uh, being done right now. Jim, is this being over-talked or not? No, I, I think that the rebalancing sort of mean things, but I do think that last week was significant because if you see a continued decline in commodities, we listen to what Ken said, uh, there's going to be this moment that's good because we're going to say, wow, it looks like the inflation's tame. And then if they continue, we're going to say, uh-oh, it looks like they're too tame because of recession. So we're right in that soft landing, hard landing. And you've got this you've got this rebalancing. So there's a level of confusion that, that I think many of us are not used to, coupled by the fact that it's been the worst market in years. Yeah, only two winning weeks so far this quarter. Wow. Out of what do you get? 12, 13 weeks? Wow. Um, pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to some people this weekend who are CEO types on boards. And we just talked about the depressing nature of the market. And also the depressing nature where the country is. Now, some of that was Roe v. Wade, which is not really our um, area, yep. right, of, 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 of where I don't feel like that I'm the spokesperson or anything. But some of it is just the idea that no matter what you do, no matter what the company does, the next it's regarded as being worthless. Uh, and then there are other companies that are so hostage to Washington that it doesn't matter what they do. And so there is a general uh, belief that the 401k is not the place to put the money. Uh, we're going to speak to Chairman Gensler about what happened with crypto. Uh, again, a sense that maybe people got had. So there is just there's just a lot of disbelief in stocks right now as an asset class. Right. Your point about uh, the short term uh, quarter end stuff reminds me of a note this morning out of J.P. Morgan. Uh, clients have asked whether this rally could continue into early July. Uh, there's a fear that the market moves higher to a level that then forces their participation, with some noting that level would be around 4,200. Oh, my. All right. So we were 3,000 last week, now 4,200. <laughs> so, I mean, but you listen to Ken Langone, and I like, I was for 100 basis points. I mean, Ken is for hard money. He's worried about 500, you know, about 5%. Uh, the sticky part of the yield curve is 2 to 3 is, I think, a bargain, but not if we listen to Ken. But I, I find that the research, all the research this morning, almost every bit of it is positive. And it's positive in part because, well, uh, there's been a stabilization of earnings, and, but at a much lower level. 
And so there's a belief that, um, that the price target cuts are almost done. Uh, and if it weren't for the fact that there, uh, it, that we still have this problem of finding jobs, which the visible thing is, it, 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 is what Phil talks about. I mean, we can't find enough pilots. We can't find enough this. We can't find enough that. That's with us. And the only way you're going to be able to find enough is to have the economy really slow. And that means a lot of the earnings that we're looking for are no go. Right. Well, we do, got, we do have continuing claims inching higher week by week. Uh, wage growth slowing a bit. Obviously, you, some layoffs and hiring freezes. Right. This is what Langone said this morning on Squawk about the potential for a recession. All the signs were there. And, and as I say, the safe course of action would have been to say, maybe it's transitory, but we're not going to take the chance that it's not. And we're going to put the brakes on. So we, now, would that have precipitated a recession? Maybe. But if it did, the recession would be less severe than the one that's coming by virtue of what we have to do now. How inevitable is that recession in your view? Are we in a recession right now? Never say never. I think we are in a recession right now. I think intellectually and mentally we're in a recession right now. Intellectually, we're in a recession. I'm not sure what the NBR says about that. No, but look, I, here's what I say about Ken Lango. And I, I, I bank with Ken pretty much uh, all my life. And Ken's wrong. Uh, he admits that he's wrong. And, and he's been right about this period. Uh, I feel very concerned that, that Jay Powell has to stop being constrained by 75, whatever. If the data's weak, then fine. But if the data's strong, like the durable goods numbers, well, he, he, he may have to do intermeeting. So uh, I like the direction of commodities for him. But there are too many signs that there's too, too much strength. And uh, that worries me. Really? Yeah. Even with, for example, copper in a bear market, uh, month to date, nat gas down 22. No, these are going right, but they got to stabilize in order for Ken to be. I mean, we've got some that are too hot, okay, and they tend to be hiring, and some that are plummeting, and that's commodities. And the fact that we have a great job growth in this country is terrific. That's what's going to save us. And I think Ken was a little bit too, pes- too pessimistic at the end. But we got to continue to have the job growth because if we start having layoffs like we're seeing finance, uh, like we're seeing, like we're going to see in Silicon Valley, uh, that's going to be different to restrain. Right. Right. Well, uh, speaking about energy, at least, uh, we are watching a lot of headlines today. G7 leaders set to announce a potential price cap on Russian oil. Jim, uh, looking to heighten <laughs> some of these sanctions, maybe limit uh imports of gold from Russia, basically trying to cut off whatever revenue they're getting. Oh, good luck. I mean, the ruble is strong. Uh, China's buying and India's buying all the oil they want. This default's phony. They could easily pay. This is not like the 1997, 98 crisis period. Uh, This is all political. Now, yes, there is a huge part of the GDP has been eliminated because of our pullout. But I would say that every single sanction has failed. Has failed? Every single one. Because there is no sign that they are going to stop. And I do believe, uh, I do believe that if the West lets them get away with this, then anyone who goes nuclear has a sober barrel. I mean, if we decide that we have to be fearful of every nuclear nation, well, we're going to be fearful of Pakistan. We'll be fearful of Iran. Uh, We will uh, make deals with countries that we have no choice. This has to stop. And I think that when I listen to what the sanctions are about, I I almost laugh. I mean, these don't have anything to do with what Putin cares about. 
He cares about taking back Ukraine. And it doesn't matter. He's got, he's got the divisions. Now, I know that we're finally starting to decide that the West is going to send a little bit more of, of the weapons yep. that, that, that Ukraine needs. But uh, it, look, there are, there's another school of thought which says there's a peace deal work being worked on right now. That seems like a sellout of Zelensky peace deal, uh, leader of Ukraine. But, you know, we talk about these sanctions as if they matter. Well, I mean, you do have the G7 today saying as long as it takes on humanitarian, on military, on diplomatic, on financial aid. You got a NATO saying we're going to put 300,000 troops in high readiness positions. Well, that they better. Yeah, they better. They better do it. Better protect Poland. Uh, but I just find that. I just find that if you don't give Zelensky what he needs, he'll lose. Because, I mean, there's the Russians firing missiles. The Russians have unlimited amount of missiles, okay, unlimited. And if you wanted to find a way to create a sanction, find a way to be able to reprogram their missiles through cyber uh, terrorism. I mean, we should have everybody in our, who's in, in the Army working, and anybody who has potential to do cyber, to reprogram those missiles, because the missiles miss by a mile. Their missiles are terrible. They, I mean, they could aim for something, and they are going to miss it. Uh, but at the same time, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about military, but uh, we think that these sanctions matter. And I, and I think that as long as, as India and as long as China buy their oil, it doesn't matter. They're exporting more oil now than they did sure. before yeah. this. Oh, the revenue is back to pre-war levels. Yeah, but, so, so, but you're saying there is no sanction that is really tenable at this the point. The only sanction is to send every single piece of artillery that they need that Zelensky would tell you that they need. The long-range artillery that the Russians have is very effective. Uh, now, I've seen, I don't know, you see the new declassified, uh, incredible declassified uh, pictures of the javelin blowing up tanks. Uh, but where are the new javelins? Where, why isn't the United States sending them thousands of javelins? Why are they still stuck with stingers from, from the 70s? Why, why don't we do what we would do for any ally, which is to send them the current stingers? Why don't we give a blank check to Raytheon and to Lockheed Martin to help them? Because they're going to lose. Well, a couple of things on that. One is uh, G7 did voice concern over this missile transfer from Russia to Belarus, Absolutely. which would open up a new wrinkle. Absolutely. And then Zelensky, too, saying um, we would like the war to end before winter. But now is not the time to negotiate. Well, look, winter, they're all afraid that Germany and France will capitulate and do a 1938 Munich-style conference without Zelensky saying, Because the, the gas cutoff would be too Yeah, painful. and I know Brian Sullivan says some excellent work about what will happen. Uh, I think that the Germans are tougher than that, but I do have to believe that it's time for Angela Merkel to come out of hiding. Merkel? Yeah. And, and what, basically say, I'm, I'm sorry about She's this? She's the only person that Putin's ever listened to. They did have a thing, didn't they? Yes, the yeah. East German, very tough. Yep. She has to step forward and say, listen, we're going to recommission. Now, you can't recommission it. I know Ken said that might recommission nuke. You can't. My understanding is that the nukes are obliterated. Uh, they recommission coal and the, the Greens are going to go crazy, uh, but they have to because they just don't have enough energy. Uh, but we have to accept the fact that if we don't send them, we're sending them a fraction of what, of what the Soviets sent to the North Vietnamese. A fraction. It's not right. Yeah. Uh, it's a theme you've been on consistently since the, we're in our fourth month. And you've been saying this since the beginning. Just call Raytheon. Give them what they want. Give the give 
Zelensky what he needs. Stop, stop dithering. Yeah. Uh, we'll see whether the uh, summits this week uh, further that uh, notion at all. In the meantime, after the break, we'll talk about this race for Spirit Airlines. Frontier bumping up its offer for the airline. ISS weighing in as well. Got some calls this morning on AutoZone, Chewy, uh, Etsy, Coin, and Hood as well. Yep. A lot more squawk on the street is back after the break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Spirit Airlines under pressure in the pre-market after saying it would accept the latest improved takeover bid from Frontier Group, valued at $2.7 billion based on Friday's close. Here's Frontier's CEO earlier on Squawk talking about the deal. This is a very clear choice. You know, our merger with Frontier with Spirit actually lowers fares for consumers, whereas the JetBlue uh, proposal with Spirit would actually raise fares for consumers. And at a time when inflation is so important, I think lowering fares for consumers is much more important. Interesting setup here, Jim. ISS does, by the way, recommend the Frontier deal. Yeah, I have Ted Christie on tomorrow night, uh, who is uh, from Spirit. And I, I think that their deal is anti-competitive because it creates a carrier that can stand up to the other carriers, as opposed to uh, I really do think that the JetBlue is just terrible for Florida. I'm going to do I have to really book on this thing because before I have uh, before I have Ted Christie, I really got to know what I'm talking about. But yeah. I do have some very good sources that indicate that this is the favorable one from the government from the point of view of creating a nationwide competitor, a fifth competitor. There's been way too much combination and not enough competition. Uh, does Would it solve the problem that Phil talks about, which is these uh, endless lines? No, I think that, you know, that's a, a pilot problem. But I, I think that this is a bold move by spirit, but they may not, they, they got a big vote coming up. I mean, the, Mr. Christie's not coming on because he wants to talk to me about airlines. He wants to win that vote. And uh, let's see, I do think that the, the Frontier interview this morning was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we talk about uh, the pull forward of demand for COVID and how Amazon overbuilt capacity. Airlines did the opposite. 
They thought, we're not going to need these pilots ever again, and they let them go, and now it's hard to get them back. They made a bad mistake. Well, look, I shouldn't say that. I mean, look at China. China's making a huge bad mistake. There were some industries that budgeted for 2021 and 22, and their budgets were that there's no vaccine. And then others look, uh, thought, bleed through the science and didn't lay people off. Uh, a lot of retailers did not. Mm. But I, I have to tell you that... Uh, this every weekend cancellation. Oh my gosh! I I don't know how people feel like they can travel. I just the, don't. Then now the blame game between the carriers and the the Department of Transportation. By the way, TSA traffic on Friday almost two and a half million. That's going back to February 2020. Uh, I know that the theme parks are just booming. Uh, I know that from dealing with some of them. And all I can say is is that people are traveling as if. Uh, that this is a one that their lives they don't know what their lives will be like but they're spending everything they have right right i mean if there are layoffs it's going to be one of these moments where you will see an economy go down because everyone's spending their savings and because these reservations were made 60 90 days ago yes and people are going everywhere now i do think that if your 401k had a substantial amount of money in stocks and you were going to rely on that that's not going to happen you're not going to, you have to go back to work. I see a lot of people going back to work. Yeah. Right now, over 60, they thought they were done. They had savings. Their savings have been cut by 30, 40%. They're looking for jobs, but uh, they don't know how to fly planes. I, I was talking to a, a buddy who, who hires and said they're seeing a lot more resume gaps. People coming in, where have you been for the past couple of years? Oh, I was in the Dominican Republic with my kids, um, but time to come back to the real world. Yeah, and the real world needs you. Uh, I, look, I, I don't I, I don't like what I see in terms of the divide between uh, how much you have, you're going to have to pay up to get people. It's got to come down. And I just hope that j recognizes that they're that in order to en- engineer the soft landing, he has to actually let the commodities not plummet because they're the bellwethers. But a lot of that is China. And then a lot of it is Russia. But let's not overplay this Russian default. It is cosmetic. Yes. Third party related. The Russians are richer than they've ever been. Now, GDP cut back by us, but the Russians have a lot of countries over barrel right now. And I don't understand why people think that if Zelensky is defeated, things are fine. I mean, why would Poland think that? Why doesn't, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Putin take Poland? Nuclear? Why not? Uh, Somebody's got to be careful. We've, we've definitely been forced to broaden our imaginations about what's possible. Do we ever? In terms Holy of cow. Uh, And we've got to put the... We have, can we have the Department of Defense in charge, please, and not the, the NSC? Stay. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash. We'll count down to the opening bell. A lot of cross currents. Haven't gotten to a lot of the sell-side calls so far this morning. Uh, here's a look at futures. Getting a little bit back before the open, which happens in about 10 minutes. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Time for Kramer's Mad Dash as we count down to the opening bell watching Goldman in the cell on coin. Wow, I've got to tell you, now we have Gary Gensler on today, the, the chairman of the SEC. And we're going to have to ask about this because the Goldman piece does say basically they must, must, must fire more people, reductions, or they're in trouble. And I think that we've all watched this. We've all watched the crypto world come down. And I think we all have to be concerned if we're uh, looking for the SEC for help. They got to step up. They got to step up now. Now, Coinbase could tell us, listen, we'll lay off some people and we're fine. I'm sure they don't even like me talking about them, but we have no choice. We have Gary Gensler on and Gary has to tell us between the CFTC and the SEC, who is really going to regulate this business? Because, boy, it seems like the Wild West still. It's been more than a year that we've seen this thing go all over the place. Mike Novogratz in a piece in New York Magazine is a, it's an astonishing piece about how things are off the rails. Off the rails off the in rails. crypto. Yeah. Meaning Wild West, no regulation or just price, yeah, well, price that, drops? Yeah, that, that you could have something that even, you know, he believed in uh, collapse. Question of Tether, uh, which is this stable coin. How stable are they? Uh, and I know that, that the, the chairman is concerned. Uh, we need to hear it up front. We need to hear what does, what's his game plan. Right. As for Goldman, uh, they were at 70. They go to 45. They see the revenue base down 73% oh, in the back my. half of right. the year. Difficult choice between shareholder dilution, meaning they may have to do a deal, and significant reductions in effective employee compensation. Now, I have, dis- I have watched how Coinbase handles the press. And they handle us. And I'm handling them. And I'm telling you that I don't play for dinner, Coinbase, and you're going to have to listen to what Gary Gensler has to say. That is coming up later this morning. We'll also get to their upgrade of Hood at Goldman. Oh, I got some stuff to say about yep. that, too, to the chairman. As they, uh, as they go to neutral Whoa. on Hood. Uh, that's coming up later in this next half hour. In the meantime, the opening bell, just minutes away. We're back in three. A few minutes to the opening bell here. We just talked about Goldman's uh, downgrade of coin. They do take hood to neutral from a sell. Uh, they lower the target, actually, to 950. Yeah, that's a uh, hood has uh, more money than the stock price. Uh, now, of course, they're losing money. So I don't know how good an upgrade that is. Uh, I also find that there's a very damaging report that I'm going to ask the chairman about uh, House committee saying that these guys uh, basically dissembled. And, uh, a year it's ago, not you good. basically you're saying. Yeah, and yeah. it's not good. The yeah. report is not good at all. Where they just, they were definitely over their skis yes. in managing the business. And we need to know whether the commissioner, after he has heard this, uh, feels that maybe something should be done. Uh, because I don't think you can just go in front of Congress, say whatever you want, and expect that even a year later that it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, you can't just go to Congress and say, hey, here's the way it was. And it wasn't. Uh, meantime, part of the part of the bullish story behind the upgrade to neutral is rates adding to net interest income, making their losses a bit more manageable. In right. Goldman's words. If they keep the uh, the accounts, if they don't lose the accounts, 
The amount of money's been lost here is just staggering. And what's incredible is, is when you talk to young people, they owned, all, they owned SPACs. They owned almost every company that they had used. It didn't matter what it was. If they used Airbnb, they bought it. If they used Etsy, they bought it. If they used DoorDash, they bought it. And all of those are down substantially. They are all, all good companies, but they all got too big a market cap. And I think what people are realizing is, well, wait a second. We accorded a market cap to these newer companies that we should not. Well, Etsy's older, but um, that, that really shouldn't be reserved for the way we handle seasoned companies. And the losses are just humongous. Yep. And just like Dor said a moment ago, talking to Andrew, there are too many unicorns. Too many too unicorns. Too many unicorns. That was a very good, very good conversation. And I, like I think, now one just passed our tape, which is Snowflake. Snowflake is an amazing company. And Frank Slootman has, I, I spoke with Mark Benioff last week, and Mark was talking about how uh, the subscription model really does save companies. Slootman does not have that model, but Slootman's a very good businessman. But then again, I mean, that was at 300, and now it's at 150, came at 120. Deals are going under where they came. And these younger people, they bought it on margin, and they've discovered the hazards of margin, and it's rough for them. And yet another topic of discussion for Gensler in a few minutes. Let's get the opening bell here and the CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board. ProShares celebrating its short Bitcoin strategy ETF. At the NASDAQ, Al Nylum Pharmaceuticals celebrating its 20th anniversary. By the way, Bitcoin, Jim, over the weekend. People were worried going into the weekend, but it does hit 21.8, highest since mid-June or so, but still the worst month in about a year. Yeah, I mean, a short... You know, we got to find out about what the chairman says about having ETFs and Bitcoin. Um, there's a lot of things that go on that I think people thought the government was involved in or examined. And uh, it, it's just kind of Wild West capitalism. Uh, I don't know whether there should be a Bitcoin, a short Bitcoin. Maybe they're trying to break tether. Um, you know, these are things that we don't want financials to make uh, Jay Powell's job even harder. But it's certainly a possibility when you see these things. You say, oh, okay, so there's short Bitcoin. Well, maybe everybody gangs up. Maybe the hedge funds gang up and decide to break Bitcoin. And then what happens? And then we come in one day, Carl, and we say, well, they broke Bitcoin. Uh, is there an impact? And I don't think we can just sit here as journalists and not comment on something that may not be necessary or maybe maybe dangerous. Do you think? You sounds like you think there is the possibility of systemic risk in this. I mean, Bitcoin's total, too big. Total market cap is well, it's true, true. Yeah, I mean, it's a couple well, of Johnson and Johnsons. That's a very good point. Uh, who owns it is a generation, and I hate that generation to see a, the buck broken or uh, buy it on margin and get wiped out. And the reason I say this is because I lived through 2000 like you did, and you know, a generation left, and, and that was it. They left, and they left for treasuries, and they never came back. Uh, and they missed great opportunities. I, I don't want that to happen again because of, of some crazy thing that everybody decided was, was the pot of gold. Right, right. <laughs> I don't have a tattoo that says anything on myself. I will if my wife's mezcal outsells mine, but <laughs> I've agreed to do that. Oh, really? That's okay. Yeah, I, I've agreed I can't to wait do for that, that day. <laughs> well, don't worry because it's going to be her. She'll lose. But uh, look, I just worry. Um, I, I, I just worry. I mean, last week, I had, I had Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. And we were in the metaverse. And that stock's down a lot. It doesn't reflect anything good about the metaverse. 
I met with the Google people last night. Uh, that stock doesn't reflect any of the balance sheet. and things. Those stocks are cheap. I mean, amazingly, those stocks are cheap. Apple has gotten to be, say, 21 times earnings. Uh, even Tony Saganelli has a piece today about how Apple Plus is good. The bargains are the ones that I actually question whether Amazon didn't get cheap. There's a nice piece about Amazon today. Yeah, in the uh, journal about Prime? Yes. Maybe that's where the, well, I can't say the values, but those stocks have come down mightily. And they're very interesting to me. All right. You think if you had to right now, would you take off a long oil trade in favor of some fang? Um, my chapel trust has an oil hedge, and Scott Sheffield, my regard as the dean of the group, came out last week and said, listen, it's going to hang around at 100. And at 100, they make a fortune. So I, I think that you, what you want to do is you want to be in the oils that make a fortune and generate, take that dividend, but use that as a hedge against uh, an expo- a commodity explosion that we could have if something terrible happens in Europe, which is certainly a possibility. Right. On the flip side, though, uh, Shanghai basically declaring victory over COVID. I know. are going to resume in-person school in Beijing. If China demand comes back, Jim. Well, if China demand comes back, then gasoline goes substantially higher. And you buy Starbucks. And by the way, Nike. Yes, Everyone is ignoring Nike. What, what a great story you have. You have Nike after the bell. And if they come out and say, you know what, we're seeing advance orders. And people are back. Then you're going to say, why did I... Why didn't I buy it at 111 when it was at 179? Yep. I mean, you look at FedEx. I mean, FedEx was another one that there are some stocks that are working so well that got so cheap. And then there's a lot of other stocks that are just, that came public. Wow. Right. Warby Parker. Yep. You know, but to your broader point Too about early. China, China is up five straight weeks. Hong Kong tech, four month high. Because that, that has been working, right? Macau, uh, ex-Macau, let's say. Yeah, Macau bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, it, look, I, I actually think, I know that Howard Schultz is trying to figure out the next, le- next level of Starbucks. But you bet against Howard Schultz here, you're a fool. You've got 2.5% yield. I know he's trying to figure out how to make it so that the workers are well compensated because that's in his nature. He will pick a great CEO. They will fix China. And I am all in. My challenge just has to get Starbucks. Interesting. It's get it. It's, you know what's been great is to hear him turn away from third place, hang out, use, your, use the Wi-Fi and chill. And, and, and he's about throughput now, right? Yeah. It's, about, it's a Chipotle-ish kind of let's get the people through and in and out. And, and let's get, you know, they have to pivot so uh, dramatically to iced coffee. Now, uh, iced coffee has fallen off a cliff at, at Dutch Bros. Uh, but Dutch Bros is having its own problems. I think Howard is very involved. Uh, do you know it was their anniversary? They just came public with the really? 30th anniversary uh, just yesterday. 30s. 30 years. I actually just think that that may be the bargain. And I, the fact that my child just doesn't own it is just simply because I didn't expect China to turn like this. China, China had decent numbers list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, restaurants and consumer, B of A, uh, bearish on Eat, uh, Brinker. There's oh, a couple geez. bearish uh, notes on, on restaurants yeah, today. Yeah, now, Darden reported last week. I did a pro and Kyle on Darden. Uh, Darden did pretty well. There's a, there's, a re- there's a sell on Darden today, and the stock is up 4% yield. Uh, had a lot of good things to say. It wasn't just uh, uh, Olive Garden that was good. I, I, I am convinced that when you, you know, here's another guy, Gene Lee. I mean, he's a smart guy. I mean, some of these companies, whether it be Howard, Schultz, whatever, they have seen downturns. They're not worried because they've lived through downturns. That's who you want to run companies. 
That's who you want. You don't want these new companies, the unicorns, they've never seen a downturn, and just say, hey, you know what? What do you do? And they're like, they're under the desk. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know where he went. Uh, one name to watch today, Chewy. Uh, Needham goes to buy Target 55. Jim, that's the highest since mid-April. That's that's company's made a, a nice recovery. That last quarter was kind of business as usual. Uh, there hasn't been, they've not lost customers. Uh, it's impressive. It, it, you know, there's a, there's a company that is, that's paid its dues, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, I can see maybe owning it. Not my favorite, but pets remain something that uh, the the great the great what can I say the the great disease <laughs> made it so you have pets. I mean, everybody's got a couple too. One of the things that that, that they did some work for me uh, at PetSmart, and they they said that listen, the number of people of one who went to two was was the highest ever. Oh my God! Yeah, I but, believe it. Yeah. So I mean, I think maybe you can take it, you know, but it's taking a shot, and I hate taking a shot. It's not what we're about. Do we really have this Gary? I think he's Jerry ready. Ready? All right. Bitcoin back to 21,000. Prices are still down more than 50% this year. Could the crypto crash accelerate? Uh, should we have some regulatory oversight? So much else to talk about. We've got ESG to talk about. We've got to figure out what to do with memes. And I am so glad to introduce the, wow, the head of the SEC. Yes, Chairman Gary Gensler. Uh, Chairman, it is always great for you to come on the show. Thank you so much. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Good to be with you, Jim. There we go. There we go. All right, Mr. Jim, let's just go right to it. Uh, you have been uh, adamant that there should be a some degree of uh, coordination with the CFTC and you about trying to make it so that we have a more clarity, let's say, on uh, cryptocurrency. Where, where's the state of play crypto right now? Look, this, this is a highly speculative asset class. Uh, we've known this for uh, a long time. The ups and downs of this speculative uh, asset class, Bitcoin, and hundreds of other tokens. And many of these tokens uh, offer the investing public, uh, or the investing public is hoping, I should say, hoping for a return. Just like when they invest in, in other uh, financial assets, we call securities. And many of these financial assets, crypto financial assets, uh, have the key attributes of a security. So some of them, they're under the Securities and Exchange Commission. Some, like Bitcoin, and that's the only one, Jim, I'm going to say, uh, because I'm not going to talk about any one of these tokens, but sure, uh, my predecessors and others have said they're, they're a commodity. Working together, there's two great market regulators in this country. I had the honor to chair the CFTC, a terrific agency. I have the honor now to chair the Securities and Exchange Commission. A little bit different remits, a little bit different approaches, but working together with the banking regulators as well. There's there's uh, work to be done there around what's called stable coins. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done to really protect the investing public. And many of these tokens right now um, are trying to operate, uh, they're, they're potentially non-compliant, and I'll leave it at that, Jim. Okay, well, one of the things that I, I love about what you've uh, always believed in is transparency. You mentioned stablecoin. I did not bring that up. But there is one uh, that is regarded as being perhaps uh, 
not as transparent as we'd like, which is called Tether. And it's very big, about $60 billion. If they told us what they were really in, what they had their money in, wouldn't, wouldn't that be better for everybody? Look, transparency is a key part of the investing uh, formula. It's kind of part of the basic bargain that you, you get to, on a quarterly basis, know something about the companies. And if material events happen, uh, like they do all the time, then companies make additional filings called 8K filings, and the public gets to decide what risks they want to take. That's the basic bargain. Similar to stable coins, we have something called money market funds. And in money market funds, you get to see what's underneath the hood, what's, what's really below that one-to-one -one relationship where in a money market fund, the public has come to understand that except for in very unusual times, uh, they get a dollar for a dollar. Uh, or at banks, banks as well. Uh, stable coins have similarities to bank deposits, that, that you have something standing behind that uh, relationship. Okay, well, uh, one of the things that happened, and I sure hope that, you, that that clarity and transparency occur, but one of the things that happened, at least in many of our lives, I, I've had all, uh, all my life had my money with Fidelity. And they came out and they said, look, you can put your Bitcoin in 401k. It was a seminal moment because if 401k is made for securities, you put Bitcoin in and suddenly that kind of endorsement makes us feel very comfortable, Mr. Chairman, with the asset that is Bitcoin. Are we too comfortable? Look, there's there's a lot of risk in 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 crypto. There's also risk in the classic securities markets. What we have in the U.S. is we have this concept that you have market regulators like the CFTC and SEC to help protect the public against fraud and manipulation in the markets. And when there's a group of entrepreneurs that are selling something to the public, who are saying to the public, come here, come hither, we've got this great idea, <laughs> that, that when you do that, You've got to have basic disclosures, full and fair disclosures. That's what right. the SEC does. That's that's what we do really well. It's less so, you know, in the oil markets or the wheat markets that the CFTC has. And and so that's what we have. And right now you have hundreds, if not thousands of these crypto tokens that have the basic attributes of raising money from the public and having a group of entrepreneurs that you might have on your show saying, come hither. We've, mm -hmm. we've, got, we've got a good idea for you. And, and that's okay in America if you comply with the laws. And we've got, unfortunately, a lot of projects that are non-compliant. Well, wow. You know, Mr. Chair, one, one question, sort of an echo of a question we've asked you before. Of all the pots that you have boiling at the SEC, SPACs, China, ESG, can viewers be comfortable in thinking that crypto is the top priority? Is, the, is on the front burner? And if so, when is there going to be palpable proof of the work you've done? When's that going to happen? Well, I, I, you wouldn't want me to pick amongst my three wonderful daughters, and I'm not going to pick amongst those <laughs> projects either. Um, look, we do. It's, it's a great honor to be in the, in the role I'm in. We oversee literally $100 trillion capital markets. The projects you mentioned uh, the, the operations of either the U.S. Treasury markets, which is a quarter of our capital markets, literally. So, so we oversee a lot. We're trying to make the markets a little better, 
hopefully a lot better for the retail investing public and to really move forward uh, in the face of new technology like crypto, in the face of new technology called artificial intelligence, in the face of robo-advising and the like, and move forward so that the investing public, always getting to decide what risk they want to take, but has that full and fair disclosure and we protect against fraud, manipulation, the hucksters that come along, because human nature is human nature. Well. Uh Mr. Chairman, I had the privilege to read the House Committee on Financial Services report, GameStop, this weekend. All the things that you just said are what Robin Hood did in front of Congress, uh, every single one of them. And I want to know whether it's too late to do something, because you know uh, Vlad Tanev, the CEO, testified to the committee that Robin Hood risk management processes worked approximately to keep Robinhood in compliance, and they were no, nowhere near in compliance. And what do you do with a, a company whose CEO comes to Congress and just basically dissembles uh, and gets away with it? Well, I'm not going to speak to any one company. I, I know, Jim, that you, you, you would like to pull me in there, and your viewers might even be in, you know, interested in that. But let me step back a little bit about our, our, what we learned about our stock markets in January of 2021 and what your agency, the public's agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission is trying to do. Uh, and we too put out a report last fall on these matters. And we sort of, the staff came to four areas for additional work. Uh, one was about the back office. Well, you could call it the plumbing. And that's part of what you just talked about as to why we're uh, investors on a given Friday just told, hey, you're, you're shut out. And it had something to do with the clearinghouses. It had something to do with the, the money that had to be posted in those clearinghouses. So we put out a rule last December, a proposal, a proposal to address what's called clearing and settling, not only shortening the time frame, but try to update it. We also put out some rules around short selling. And there were some things about the transparency so that the markets know no, more about when investors are selling a company stock, what's called short. But we have two other projects, and one is about the, the structure of the equity markets themselves, and that 40 or 50 percent of the markets are dark. They, they, they don't have that transparency that, that's sort of the lifeblood right. of good competitive markets. And so what do we do about that and how do we address that? And the staff's still working on some recommendations. I gave a speech a couple of weeks ago about it. And uh, I look forward to you know, rolling that out with the support of other commissioners and get the public comment on how we can level this playing field that it works better for the retail public. Excellent. Now, uh, Mr. Chairman, in the time since um, you I graciously agreed to come on, the number of CEOs who have called me and said, please, please tell him you got to slow down ESG. We're really trying to figure this out, of which I come back and say, well, well, figure it out, for heaven's sake. The planet needs you. What do we do to try to, in the press, help you make it so that ESG is the priority it must be? So, look, these companies, the, the CEOs that are calling you, are currently making disclosures to their shareholders. And those shareholders, measured in the tens of trillions of dollars, are reading those disclosures and trying to make sense. But those disclosures are, frankly, sort of fragmented. They're, 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 they're done in different ways by different companies. 
So that's where the SEC has a role. It's to tr help bring some standardization. We call it consistency and comparability in that. We put a proposal out. We got thousands of comments. It's really important. We're going we're gonna to weigh in. We're going to uh, assess the cost and benefits and, and learn from those comments. But this is in many ways what those CEOs uh, ought to want, is to help to bring some consistency and comparability to the data disclosures so that one company's not, frankly, greenwashing and making assertions uh, and getting the attention of shareholders in a way that, uh, you know, they wouldn't do. All right. Uh, last for me, Mr. Gensler, uh, there was a long period where we had a lot of SPACs that came public and they made, they made, they made a lot of uh, let's just say some very aggressive targets about what they could accomplish. Uh, are you happy that that era seems to be over? Because uh, I remember the SEC when I came from them, they would never allow me to make these uh, any sort of estimates that been, and threw it right back at me. Uh, this is back in 1996. And uh, I love that SEC, which just says, you can't make this. You can't claim this. Are we done with that? Look, special purpose acquisition companies, basically blank check companies, were mechanisms where private companies were going public through an alternative to initial public offerings. And there was a bit of, uh, if I could call it uh, arbitrage, lack of a level playing field. And so we, we at the SEC have a role to play to try to level that playing field to make sure investors are protected. And the promoters, the promoters of these blank check companies uh, often took 20% of the uh, stock. So there was a lot of juice that was going to the promoters. And there's still 400 of them, Jim, that are looking oh. to buy some private company, to looking to do what's called a de-SPAC. And um, uh, we got good public comments uh, on, on a proposal that we also put out. Uh, we're going to assess those public comments and try to uh, bring a little bit more level playing field and protect the public in this space. Well, Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for coming on and touching on all those discussions that are so important for our investors. Uh, it, it is great to see you. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. We, we did get a Bitcoin moved on that interview uh, back did. below 21K. Yeah, as he as he singled it out as a commodity. Well, uh, I think it's very clear that uh, in conjunction with the CFTC, it feels it's very important because it it's something you use that key phrase. It's something you buy in anticipation of it going higher, which is definitely right in his bailiwick. Uh, I know that uh, the one thing I know about Chairman Gensler is he knows more <laughs> about crypto and has taught it than almost anyone in the world. And I think that the, crypt, the crypto people uh, who came to our, who are most vocal, uh, don't understand that they have, a, 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 they have an SEC that's run by someone who is smarter and tougher. And they don't seem to recognize that it's a commission. And the commission should be feared and respected. And I think those who do not fear and respect the commission should not be doing their business publicly traded. Now, also interesting to hear him talk about the SEC and CFTC structure as something that's almost double-barreled. Oh, yeah. We'll see, but we yeah. hard to pin him down on a timeline. No, but he's, he, he, is, uh, he, he knows more than they do, and he's the commissioner, not them. 
Uh, quick reminder, you can always get in on the CNBC Investing Club with Jim. Sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash join the club or use the QR code on your screen. It'll take you there. As we go to break, uh, let's check on bonds. A little bit of a defensive posture overall this morning. Uh, Dow's down 70, back below 3,900 on the S&P and yields did get a short bounce on those uh, strength and durables this morning. Uh, Ten-year right around 316. Back in a moment. Jim and stop trading. Long lives are out for Bed Bath and Beyond. B Riley today takes it uh, to a neutral. Uh, they report on the 29th. The stock has moved all the way down to six, but there isn't a hedge fund uh, that I know of or a research firm that likes this. And it, it just had it's made a lot of mistakes, bought back a lot of stock. We have to see, but with with Nike, this is the one that people are talking about. Right. There's a yeah, a pretty decent sampling this week. I think we get Constellation later. Micron as well. Constellation, I hope to have them on. Uh, Micron will be Friday morning. Uh, these are regarded as being bellwethers for the various industries, whether it be semiconductors, whether it be consumer spend. So uh, it's. Uh, we also want to watch this week for see if anyone pre-announces, like the old days, where they say, listen, we just looked at our order book and we're not going to make your numbers. So these, fu- these next four days could be treacherous. Despite the rebalancing discussion. Yes, they could be treacherous. How about tonight? Uh, Secretary Mondo from um, Commerce. we got to talk about getting this CHIPS Act through. It's just, you know, this is defense. This is, you know, whether it be the video I showed you that's declassified. I mean, we need, we need chips made in this country. So look forward to it. Yeah, uh, Thank you. This is the window. Jim, we'll see you at 6. Uh, Mad Money, P, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Meantime, markets here close to session lows. Dow's down 95. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.